It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to this second special referendum, Scottish Independent Special podcast uh, of the political party, uh, recorded live at the Edinburgh Festival. This one at the Pleasance Above, uh, in the heart of the Pleasance Courtyard, with Jim Murphy, who was just absolutely brilliant. I think this was far more inappropriate than I expected it to be. Uh, And he's a really funny bloke, Jim Murphy. And just one of those great interviews where it's a mix of the both. Great anecdotes and very funny and not afraid to be um, uh, informal and not afraid to be slightly outrageous. Uh, But equally, on the political stuff, absolutely brilliant and very passionate and very articulate. So enjoy. This was an absolute classic. Good afternoon, Edinburgh. Hello, welcome to this special independence debate special. Did anyone come to the other show on Monday? I see a few of you. Excellent. Uh, with the wonderful Willie Black, who I think is in here today. Willie, are you here? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't sound so happy about it, does he? <laughs> Hello, Willie. Where are you? At the back? Up here. Up here. Legend. Willie Black we had on uh, Monday uh, over at the Assembly, uh, putting the yes side. And today, a very special guest, uh, Jim Murphy, and we'll examine uh, the no side. I thought it'd be interesting at the start just to get uh, a, uh, an opinion poll, really. Um, give me a if you're Scottish. Or more to the point, I should say, give me a cheer if you've got a vote in the referendum. Yay! Okay, of that group of people, give me a cheer if you'd like Scotland to stay in the UK. Yay! Okay, and of the initial group of people, give me a cheer if you'd like Scotland to leave. Yeah! Oh, what did you say, 60-40? But with the people who want to leave, definitely more enthusiastic. <laughs> uh, which arguably is the story of this campaign. Um, now, uh, give me a cheer if you don't have a vote in the referendum. Okay, and if you people, give me a cheer if you'd like Scotland to stay in the UK. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Don't miss polling day, mate. <laughs> Turn up an hour late with your fucking postal vote. Uh, and of the second group of people, give me a cheer if you'd like Scotland to leave the UK. Yay! Two brave men. <laughs> Two very brave men. Uh, are you English? The chap down the front there. Oh, he's leaving already. <laughs> Halfway, halfway towards the door. Did you want Scotland to leave? I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure yet. So, oh, okay, that's a fair point. Uh, give me a cheer if any of you are undecided. Hey. <laughs> Even undecided about whether to join in. Never <laughs> um, mind about joining in, yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's very. Uh, we, well, we have a great guest, um, uh, former Secretary of State, currently Shadow Secretary of State for International Development, the Labour MP, Jim Murphy. <laughs> Welcome. Have a seat, please. Pleasure to have you here. Uh, in the middle, is it, is it the middle of your... You're on a, you're on a tour. A mm-hmm. hundred towns in a hundred days. Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm, in the, I'm just past the middle. I, can, I promised to do a hundred street corner meetings. What's where my voice has been left. Um, and I'm about 60. It's taken me three months to get through 60. And I've got about three weeks to do the next 40. <laughs> So if we could do this outside, that would be pr- <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great. I could add it to the list. So what are the format of these of these meetings? Then are you going out there just like John Major on his soapbox, just standing there in the street? And you told me this was going to be friendly. In the street. <laughs> <laughs> but is that the idea that you're? Yeah, but, well, John Major did his soapbox um, last week, and I've got my own brew crates. <laughs> basically, I get two. It's basically it's two iron brew crates, one for each of my size thirteen feet, um, a microphone, and whoever turns up. And we just pitch the thing in a shopping centre or a street corner, and I say my thing. And it's basically aimed. Like you, get, you get a small number of people on the yes side, a small number of people on the no side. And what you're, I'm trying to get, talk to people who are referendum now, people who turn the telly off, who think I've had enough of all that. Um, I'll make my mind up near the time. Just trying to catch people by surprise and have a conversation. <laughs> That's the idea. Sneaking up on them from behind. Yeah, that's the idea. Well, they sneak up on me, actually, because I'm on my own brokerage. <laughs> Do you not get... very mobile. I mean, what's the reaction been like? I imagine, like you say, you have some supporters, you have some detractors. Town centres are rough places to be trying to peddle politics. Do you get much abuse? 
Yeah, but that's just part of the gig, isn't it? I mean, if you, want, if you don't want abuse, don't do politics. Um, I mean, you don't do this for thanks or kind of appreciation of that. So you get lo- I mean, I grew up, I, mean, I grew up, and it's an Edinburgh audience, but I grew up in a housing scheme in the south side of Glasgow, so you kind of, you develop a quite a thick skin. Yeah, people shout all sorts of stuff. What, what um, like? <laughs> <laughs> what like? I, I don't know what age, what's the, I can't, it's dark, so I can't, there's no kids in the audience, is there? <laughs> well, if they are, you know, politics is for 18 plus, and you know, so well, actually, the tone of the it's actually 16 plus this time round. Oh, in this referendum, yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, 16-year-olds swear like troopers, don't they? These yeah, days, they're all feral. Of course, uh, of course <laughs> <laughs> but if you um, had much serious, I, I was in a place called Air, and I'm on my own brokerage. Anyone here from Air? Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> whether, come you, back. whether you were doing the thing a couple of days ago, it wasn't. Uh, you're not from Air, are you? <laughs> You're from here rather than here. Okay. You sound like Darth Vader there, will you? Anyway. He's more um, dangerous than Darth Vader, mate. Watch him. <laughs> and this guy climbed onto the back of one of my crates, and it's all on YouTube. He's got a purple beard, and I says, and What's your name? And he's kind of, My name's William Wallace. <laughs> and I, th- I kind of worked out it wasn't on my side. Um, <laughs> And he just kept, and he had a, a scrawny wee dog. When I was a kid, I had a scrawny wee dog, so nothing against dog, but he got a biro pen. I mean, not a felt tip, not paint, not a sticker, not a rosette, but biro pen. And it like yours, and scribbled the word freedom across his bloody dog. <laughs> what, on it? What, on, on, the, on the dog? What, just on the head? Oh, yeah, well, I didn't have much hair. <laughs> it was like a kind of old, baldy dog. <laughs> and uh, it turns out his name wasn't William Wallace, but it was his dog. Um, and he just kept shouting traitor at me. I mean, just traitor the whole bloody time. I mean, what else? I was in Oban. Um, it, no one from, well, you're from Oban, that's neither here nor there. But I was in Oban one Friday night a couple of weeks ago. And it was a lovely sunny night just at the ferry terminal. And I turned up late because I was stuck doing another one of these. And the, the journalist was there and she said, that man over there, he's the yes vote, one of the yes voters. Great. And, I said, and, I said, and I said, but why has everyone got their hood up? I mean, it's a nice sunny evening in Oban. Why have people got their brollies? And, and he said, that man over there, as I say, he's a yes campaigner, but he's also officially the Oban seagull whisperer. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, genuinely, I'm not, I mean, it's, it was in the, it was, no, no, Google it if you want. Google the Oban newspapers. I'm not, I mean, politicians have got a stack of untrue anecdotes, right? Yeah. And they use all the time for dinners. None of them are ever true. Um, but everyone's got three of them. I mean, so many things, so many weird things have happened to me in this referendum. I could speak at every dinner, every night for the rest of my life and not use all the anecdotes I've stumbled into. But anyway, this guy had summoned all these seagulls to <laughs> vote. Not to shit in our heads. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the only one without a hood or an umbrella. And these things are just going, <laughs> shit, shit on our head. Oh, this is podcast, isn't it? I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. People love it. <laughs> The seagulls were doing their business on my, on, my, on my head. So all sorts of things. And less humorously, I've lost count of how many times I've been called a paedophile. I mean... Anything, I mean, anything you, yeah, on that, anything you'd like to tell us? <laughs> well, do you know what? And again, I mean, it's a bizarre thing about the debate. They kind of people think that's OK. And it's, I mean, it's based upon the thing about the alleged cover-up in the 1970s in Westminster when I was mm. a kid. I kid. One of the guys said, you're a paedophile. It's like, I was like, I mean, there were kids in the audience just walking by in the shop. And they said, look, mate, cut it out. He says, well, prove you're not a paedophile. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not doing it now. <laughs> what type of debate is this? But anyway, so all sorts. In Bathgate yesterday. I'm like, we can do the whole hour of this. <laughs> but in Bathgate yesterday, and this is, Willie, you can, you'll tell your pals on the other side if you fancy. I don't really care. Um, but there was a guy in Bathgate yesterday came out of Poundland, the shop, with a toilet roll. And he put one in my brew crate and said, you've been talking shite. <laughs> you've been talking shite for a whole hour, mate. <laughs> Clean your mouth with that. <laughs> brilliant. Honestly, brilliant. Alex Salmond has gone rogue. <laughs> Do you know, Alec, well, Alex Salmond's jokes were the kind of aliens and um, pandas. Did you enjoy know. the TV debates? Did you enjoy watching um, them? I don't like them. Um, obviously, without kind of... I'll persuade you to vote one way or the other, maybe, or whatever, but um, 
I, I thought objectively people believe saw sense that Alex Salmon lost that debate and Alistair Darling won it. I mean, I'm not trying to argue that. It's just the polling shows that. So in light of the fact my side of the argument won it, I'm comfortable saying that I don't like them. Why? If my side of the debate had lost that, I kind of sense you could say sour grapes and things, but my side of the argument won it. I think back to the UK general election, and I think it's an Americanisation of our politics. I think it's here to stay, and I'm not trying to stop them, and I'm sure it might generate some interest. But you think back to the last UK general election, a four-week campaign, you had three debates, I think it was three debates, where yep. everyone agreed with Nick, apart, I mean, I'm not sure many people are saying that now, but um, certainly not the Liberal Democrat party. But, anyway. but you had a, it was like three cup finals in one month. I, mean, I like football, but it was like three World Cup finals in one month. You had the pre-match build-up, you had the match, you had the post-match analysis. Immediately you finished the post-match analysis, you had a day's break um, where the pundits interviewed each other about what they thought, and then you were back into the pre-match build-up. So it kind of it sucked the oxygen out of all of the kind all of the other parts of the politics. So I don't generally I don't like it. But they were they were boring debates, weren't they? The three because there was because the format was so rigid. But the Sam and mm. Darling debate I found really interesting. They were allowed to go at each other. The public got involved. Yeah. It felt I don't know how other people felt. I felt like it was really exciting. No, it was a bit of political theatre. I thought it was smashing. Yeah. Um, and there was a there was a real engagement with the public. You asked me generally about these kind of political debates. I, I don't to make your mind up based upon whether your guy. Um, speaks more eloquently than the other guy when we're talking about the permanency of the change of the the nature of the constitution of the United Kingdom I think it's frippery but not everyone's going to have to make your mind up on that basis yeah I get that but not everyone's going to have Darling or Salmon knocking on their door so for the vast majority of people who aren't going to have someone of that ilk communicating with them it's the next best thing isn't it to be able to turn on the telly and think well let's see them talk to each other yeah absolutely yeah you get a a kind of quasi-presidential I mean I think that's my kind of gist about it Um, but no like it's, it's here to stay. I think we're going to have these debates in perpetuity in every election we ever have in future. Mm. We'll have it for the local council. <laughs> televised debates on council TV of uh, the council candidates, and that'll be really exciting. Because Alistair, <laughs> Alistair Darling got quite Sorry. excited, didn't he? Yeah, because Alistair, Alistair's, I know Alistair well, and some of you maybe know Alistair or know, well, you all know of him, but you may know him. And Alistair's one of those characters that's never knowingly happy. <laughs> uh, he and I are pals. I've said it to him before. Kind of, uh, it may never happen, Alistair. Uh, I don't mean independence. I mean just, like, I just mean whatever's in his mind. Um, but yeah, I think people saw a different side of Alistair. Yeah. People thought oh, he's going to go on and kind of just be thoughtful, reflective. But he was passionate, and he was quite aggressive at times. Yeah, because maybe just kind of sense of... I, I think what's in the mind of some people in the no side of the debate, and again, I'm not here to kind of point fingers at others, because most people in the yes side of the debate don't fit this caricature, but there are some people who just kind of think, people in my side of the debate don't love Scotland and we're not patriots. And I kind of lose count of how many people should go back to England, your traitor, and all that sort of stuff. And I think Alistair gets some of that. And I think maybe there was an element of... This is my country too. Mm. Both sides of this debate both want what's best for the country. It's an honest, an honest disagreement about what's best for our country. Do you think the no side has struggled to have an effectively emotional campaign in the same way that yes has? You know, yes does seem to appeal more to you know, a Scottish sense of identity. Have, has no struggled to, to counteract that? Do you know there's elements on, on the no side that uh, can an emotional appeal of sentimentality or nostalgia? Of course, about the way in which the, the world used to be. That's not my politics. I'm not a unionist. Um, I'm a kind of socialist and a devolutionist. So that kind of um, flag and empire type of nostalgia has never been part of my gig. Um, my family went in this country, do you know that? My family all came from Donegal, so it's not part of mm. kind of my politics. Um, but I think there's passion in both. There's genuinely passion in both sides. Um, but I think the yes, the yes campaigners um, are much more comfortable nailing their colours to the mass. Um, when I go around, and again, I'm not trying to make a, I'm not trying to elbow anyone in the guts here about this, but when I go around and meet people who are kind of quiet no-voters, I say to them, why don't you put a stick in the, your car or um, flagging your guard and all that sort of thing. Well, I'm worried that someone will break my window or someone will do this. Now, I think that's, I, I think that's a false worry, but it's a worry that's there. And I think the, the no side in particular, some of the voters have got that view. It is odd, isn't it? Because the polling seems to suggest that no is head quite consistently. Um, and the polling after the TV debate suggests that. But walking around Edinburgh, I think I've only seen one no poster. I've seen yes everywhere. So is that, it's odd that the majority don't dare speak their minds. Well, I think there's a, there's a, there's a kind of 
um, a strong, loud nationalist minority. I mean, based on the opinion polls, and opinion polls can change, of course they can. And then there's a kind of quiet, patient, patriotic majority. And patriotism and nationalism are different things. Mm. And I've long argued that all nationalists are patriots, but not all patriots are nationalists. And they're different things, and arguably you can conceivably argue that they're opposites. Um, but yeah, I'm just glad windows don't vote. <laughs> or seagulls. Other, or seagulls, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how old the seagulls were. <laughs> they might have a vote. But has that been something that, you know, in campaign headquarters, because you're obviously very close to the centre of this campaign, that you've realised is a bit of an issue, that the visibility on the no side has been quite poor? And, you know, has there been any plan to try and change that, or is there a, a slight resignation? No, if you're trying to ask, would we rather have people's votes? Or well, uh, kind of windows with posters, I would go with people's votes. Um, but no, like, you can't, you can't, it's, it's not really been a big part of our political culture anywhere in the UK, actually, mm. to have that kind of strident, um, look at me type of politics, look at what I believe, look at my values. And I think even though this campaign has been a pretty long event, um, mercifully we're only a, week, a month away from decision day. Um, I just don't, it hasn't really been part of our political culture through the ages. Other countries are different. You look, at this, look at the American politics, the, kind of, the way in which people show their colours there, and the stridency of Australian politics, mm. um, where they take no prisoners. Ours is a kind of more reticent kind of political culture. Passionate, but kind of reticent about telling your neighbours what you do and how you're going to vote. You talked about being a socialist and a devolutionist. Have you found it difficult then, having to cooperate with... David Cameron and the Tories, and trying to justify Westminster politics in an era when you've got a Tory government? Being, obviously, I'm not making... A, what I try and get across to people is I'm not making an argument for David Cameron um, or his pal, Nick Clegg. Um, it's, not my, it's not my argument, it's not my politics. The argument I'm trying to get across is um, David Cameron is temporary, mm. Nick Clegg is temporary, Alex Salmond, despite what he sometimes thinks, <laughs> um, is, te- is temporary. Um, all politicians and all politics are temporary, but independence is forever. So it's a sense of, yes, if you're scunnered about something that's happening just now, if you don't like Cameron and you kind of despise Farage and you want rid of the bedroom tax, then it's not about changing your passport or changing your nationality. I think most people get that. They see, co- they see governments come and governments go, but they know independence is forever. And that's why people have been really thoughtful, why more and more people are engaged in this than would ever be in any general election. So... Uh, so you try and you distinguish between the, the kind of the political nature of a temporary government that can, after all, be gone in a year, mm. and the permanent nature of changing your nation state. But do you think it would have been easier for you to come here and make the case if there was a Labour government in London? You know, but in terms of having a Labour government, you'd be able to say, um, "Look, we get we we voted for this government. You voted for this government. We've got it." But even then, you still wouldn't be arguing for a status quo. Because what I'm trying to get across to people is whether it's a Labour government in the UK um, or a Tory government or the kind of strange mixture we've got at the moment, um, my argument and our argument isn't for a status quo, whether it was Labour government or the one we've got at the minute, because people rightly want change. And no one doesn't want change. I mean, there's so many things wrong about our country. There's too much inequality, too much inherited disadvantage. The income of your parents, your grandparents, has too big an influence on your life chances, how long you live, where you study, how well you study, your diet, your life expectancy. We, 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 all, we want to change all of those sorts of things. So even if it was a Labour government, our argument would have been about vote to stay in the UK, but don't vote blindly to stay in the UK in favour of a status quo. I'm not interested. I'm not interested... I'm not interested in protecting a status quo. If you're in faith, like the Conservative Party are by nature the Conservers. Mm. Right? I mean, the Liberals are meant to be a kind of radical, non-conformist tradition, and my party has never been the establishment. Sometimes we give the impression, particularly when we're in power for a decade or so, you give the impression of being the establishment, but I ain't interested in preserving any status quos, whether it was a Labour status quo or the one that we've got at the minute. Sorry, that's too long an answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a good answer, but... Sorry. Uh, uh, Usually the... if I do this in a street corner, people have shouted by this stage. <laughs> right? Or climbed onto my crate. <laughs> or doing all sorts of other things. It's just one of the, one of the emotional... And Willie and I talked about this the other night. And one of the arguments that I find really hard for the no side to counter is that um, this is an opportunity to break away from cuts, from austerity, and for Scotland to run its own affairs and mm-hmm. to run it more fairly. It's a powerful argument. Well, it's... It's a powerful um, sentiment, um, but it's not. I mean, it's not the truth of what we're being offered, um, and I'm not going to want to 
quite stridently a kind of two-part exam, but I have to make my argument, which is that I genuinely don't understand the version of independence we've been offered. Um, if it's about, and which it's not, I mean, because as I alluded to earlier, the yes side have failed to turn patriots into nationalists and kind of win the argument for the kind of sovereignty of a separate state. So instead they're trying to turn anti-Tory people into yes voters, um, having failed to kind of convince them into, enough people intellectually of the case for a separate state, they've reverted to a kind of tactical vote, lendage your vote, and you can get the government you want in an independent Scotland. But the version we've been offered doesn't make sense to me, and I think to a lot of folk, is that if you want a radical politics and different economics, why would you tie yourself to the Bank of England? I mean, this is what I genuinely fail to fathom. And I fail to fathom not because I'm an idiot. Right? I fail to fathom because there's no logic to it. Genuinely no logic. Um, because... The idea, the Bank of England, as everyone knows, founded by a Scot, is the UK's central bank. It takes responsibility for, every, for the economic decisions across the UK, car loans, mortgages, credit cards, whatever. But if we leave the UK and we keep the central bank, the Bank of England, which will be a foreign bank that has no responsibility to us and has no responsibility to take any account of what's happening in Scotland, you have independent politics, but entirely subservient economics. So you end up, it's a, it's a form of handcuffs with no key. Um, and the idea that the parliament down the road here, the politicians in an independent parliament, will, will debate politics all day long, except on the day of the UK budget. <laughs> they'll turn their microphones off and they'll turn the telly on because they'll need to know what's happening in Scotland's economy. <laughs> and the only way of doing that is turning on the BBC. Well, if we're still... <laughs> <laughs> the SBC. Yeah. I had a debate with someone and they said, we'll have our own BBC. <laughs> right. and, I like, and I genuinely said to this guy in the wireless what does the first B stand for <laughs> he's like what do you mean I said well, what does the first B and BBC stand for Instantly, it means it's British of course like, yeah. um, but it hadn't, the penny hadn't dropped uh, oh, oh. or whatever currency we'll be using hadn't, <laughs> hadn't dropped the, uh, the three main parties have been really have held the line that they wouldn't enter into a currency union with yep. an independent Scotland would that really be the case I mean in the short term they'd They'd have to, wouldn't they, for, for England's mm. self-interest? I mean, the Labour Party's been clear, Ed Miliband's been clear, Ed Balls is clear. No, we will commit in our manifesto for the UK general election if Scotland was independent not to enter into a currency union. It makes... Look, first of all, I think it makes no sense for Scotland. But would it not be damaging to England's economy? No, because the, the, the idea of England, Wales and Northern Ireland... So let's remember, this is about breaking away from England, Wales and Northern Ireland, um, not just England... Um, the idea that England, Wales and Northern Ireland would want to be umbilically tied to a country's economy that had voted to separate away from it and share a currency. There's no more logic of sharing a currency with Scotland as a foreign country than Iceland as a foreign country. It would make no sense for them. But you know what? For an independent country, that's no longer any of my business. What would be my business is what's right for Scotland. And I simply believe that tying ourselves to what would then be a foreign economy, a foreign central bank, wouldn't be sensible for us. At least Jim Sillers, many of you all know Jim Sillers, the former deputy leader of the SNP, has the courage of his convictions and says we should have a separate currency and a separate central bank. I mean, the version of independence I think we've been offered at the moment is a kind of fear-heart independence. And I don't, I don't think there's a logic to it. It doesn't hang together. That doesn't stop people voting for it, but it doesn't hang together coherently. What then, if, if Scotland does gain independence and, and, and yes wins, one of the flashpoints of the TV debates where I thought Alex Hammond really had Alistair Darling, where he was constantly asking him the same question, does he think an independent Scotland could, could thrive as an economy? And Alistair was quite cagey about answering it. Um, do you think Scotland could thrive well, as an independent know, I don't nation? Know if we, I don't know if we would thrive, but my argument has always been we could be independent. The issue, I mean, all countries can be independent. I mean, it just... Under what basis, what terms, what circumstances, um, what effect? Um, how do we generate our wealth? How do we redistribute our wealth? What currency, what central bank? How do we formulate armed forces? So every country um, can be independent, and Scotland could be independent. My argument isn't we couldn't. My argument is, is, my argument is we shouldn't. We should make a conscious decision not to do the thing that we um, could have a shot at, which is trying to be independent, because I happen to believe that Scotland is part of the United Kingdom, can be more prosperous, can be more influential, and can be safer. So, I mean, it's a pretty straight... I've for years I've argued this. This isn't news, so kind of... Anyway, says, oh, finally, you've admitted it. I say this in every time I'm on my ambrucery all over the country, <laughs> and I've been saying it for years. We could be, but it's a question about whether we should be. 
I wonder how difficult it is being up here running a campaign that's effectively cross-party. I mean, it feels wholly Labour, really, because of Alistair Darling and yourself mm. and Anna Sawa. But obviously, you're communicating with the Conservatives back home, who are the Conservative and, and Unionist Party. Um, have you spoken to David Cameron much during the campaign? No. Not once? <laughs> no. He must have... Well, has he spoken to Alistair Darling much? I really don't know. I'm not the keeper of their conversations, but I haven't, I haven't spoken to David Cameron once. Any Tories? Um, there's a nice Tory <laughs> <laughs> called Annabelle Goldie. Yeah. Some, of, some of you follow Scottish politics. Yeah. She's a nice woman. Um, and I took, uh, kind of went with her to Paisley and um, Irvine and places where there are... She was the only Tory, the kind of only Tory in the village. Um, <laughs> I mean, she's the kind of acceptable face of kind of Scottish conservatism. She's kind of like everyone's favourite old aunt. She reminds me of my old aunt. When I used to go and visit my old aunt, she used to hoot me kind of a while ago now, but she used to kind of make her toast in the open fire in the wee living room. Um, Annabelle reminds me of my old aunt <laughs> in some ways. Because the impression given in the media sometimes, and certainly was for a while, was that there were rumours in Downing Street that the Tories weren't happy with the way that Alistair Darling was running the campaign and there were sort of moves uh, to get rid of him. Was any of that genuine, do you think? Or was that just you know, I don't... I, there was never, within the campaign, there's never been a doubt that Alistair is the right person to bring the thing together. Like, Alistair, despite what we saw in the debate, Alistair is nothing if not logical. Um, he's patient and he's a consensus builder. He's one of the few people... Think across the world... In the 2008 financial crash, he's one of the few people in any politics, anywhere, in any government in the country, anywhere across the world, whose reputation, despite being the Chancellor at the time of the crash, mm. his reputation for transparency and openness was enhanced. Now, that's a pretty remarkable thing when you're the Chancellor and the thing almost falls over. And people say, actually, you told the truth. You did your best and you told the truth. And that type of, kind of honesty and openness and that sense of patience, I think, is... A, a, a kind of powerful foil to what up until the debate last week was a kind of Alex Hammond's kind of bluster. Um, what, what contact then with Ed Miliband? Has he, has he been in touch yeah, during the campaign? absolutely. How often have you been speaking to him? Every week, probably. So what, does he ring you up, does he? Yeah, I ring him up, he rings me up. So, what, he, so he rings, so I'll be Ed Miliband. So he'll... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been dying you to You be Ed Miliband. I'm not, I, read on, I read online that you've got a kind of impersonation, Ed Miliband, that you want to do. Oh. Do you want to get it done now, or do you want me to oh. kind of do you want me to kind of role play with you? Kind of, yeah. What is it you want to do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me <laughs> yeah, to be? Yeah, yeah. It sounded like a different you, sort of offer. Yeah. You, uh, uh, do you want me to be? You want me to be his brother, or what is it you want to do? <laughs> oh, in so many ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh hi, uh, Jim. Uh, <laughs> Who is that? That's Ed Miliband. Oh come on, please. Hold on, I may sound better on the phone. Let me not look. <laughs> I, won't, I won't look and see if it sounds like him. Uh, hi, uh, Jim, it's in Miliband here. Uh, and he's been living in Aloha for a couple of months, clearly. <laughs> well, I'm just so committed to the campaign. Uh, uh, i got a bit of a sore throat, but before we give you tea... Uh, I just you, sound like, you genuinely sound more like Gordon that's, Brown. That's, that's, that sounds like Ed Miliband. It really does. People have told me... Hold on, hold on. How many people thought that sounded like Ed Miliband? Cheer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're not talking to him often oh. enough. You've been cut off, mate. <laughs> Speaking to him these so late, you've forgotten what he sounds are, like. These guys are obviously talking to him more often <laughs> than I am. <laughs> oh, Jim, hi. I didn't know he was quite camp. Oh, Jim, hi. Come you sound like someone from Are You Being Served. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an age thing. Some of you all have understood what Are You Being Served is. Jim, stop mucking about. Um, well, I'm trying to talk to you about the referendum, for God's sake. So, Jim, how's it going? Is this part of your game? <laughs> I need to buy tickets for I do, your show. I do do a lot of Ed Miliband um, uh, impressions. Does he, um, is he happy with the way the campaign's going? Yeah, he is. Um, what sort of stuff does he ask about? Just about how it's going, what's sort of arguments, um, how, what's the best way of him and the other folk in the Labour Party get involved? Yeah. How do we make it? And you, what do you say? As little as possible. <laughs> no uh, Ed's been up a lot He'll be up again Ed Miliband Ed Balls they, man, Loads of Labour figures Because it's important That we make a case That there's a There's a Labour alternative To the current Tory government So yeah, He's up loads I haven't yet got any of these Folk on at my own brew crates yet <laughs> I will do I'm trying I'm going to work that, at it Miliband goes out on a, yeah, on a soapbox around He does I think he's good at it Hang on like, mm. like, not, like the folk here Were kind of You don't seem convinced <laughs> <laughs> you don't see, tell us what you think. You, oh, you I can't say it to your face, can I? You're, saying, you're meant to be interviewing me, I guess, aren't you? Yeah. I, well, I, I think he's. I don't think he's. Um, I don't think he's the best leader the Labour Party's had, right. or could have had. 
We're going to tell it to you if you lose it. <laughs> but look at, I mean, for example, look at, I don't want to go into the whole argument about it. This isn't an independence issue, but um, look at what he did on the kind of news international thing. Oh, come on. Like, I'm not, like everyone said, there's a, there's a cast iron rule of British and Scottish politics. Don't mess with Rupert Murdoch. Right? And he just said, look, to hell with this. That's the old orthodoxy. I've had enough of it, and I'm just going to tell it like it is. And a contrast and with all, a lot of other political leaders, including Mr. Salmond, who was kind of trying to wine and dine mm. Rupert Murdoch just as everyone else was running away from him. But then, I suppose, Ed kind of ruined it by going and posing with a copy of The Sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it must be difficult. Let's go, let's go on to another question. Okay, yes. Let's talk about David Miliband and how you ran his campaign. Um, Not very well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Did that affect your relationship with Ed at all after that, or has it been no. okay? It's fine. Um, I was David Miliband's campaign manager along with Douglas Alexander. Um, yeah. That happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, me and Ed got on absolutely... Like, what Ed has managed to do, the Labour Party, when it loses an election, usually forms a circular firing squad. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, for the media, it's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And what happens is we're out of power for a decade or more. Yeah. And so what Ed's tried to do, and I think he's done it pretty well, is to say, like, I don't care who you voted for. In terms of leadership contest... I want, if you're any good, I want, I want you in the team. So I think that's quite a good thing. It's different from the way Labour Party's behaved in the past. I'm getting a bit too serious, aren't I? No, 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 it's fine. It's interesting. Um, really? Yeah. Those of you who follow British politics, the Labour Party, when it loses an election, traditionally says, um, right, we need to settle old scores inside the Labour Party. And you kind of spend four years fighting like hell with each other. And then the last six months of a parliament, you say, right, what do the voters think? And they kind of think, you're a crazy crowd of no good losers. <laughs> and so what Ed's tried to do and said, right, we had that leadership election. Um, to hell with who you voted for. Let's just go on with doing the business. And I think that's an achievement in the Labour Party. Mm. I mean, genuinely. I wonder what effect, um, in terms of the referendum campaign, mm -hmm. has it had on like, your personal relationships and friendships? I mean, within your family or within your friendship groups, are some people going to vote yes, do you think? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I take my nine-year-old to his football training and um, you listen to nine-year-olds nine arguing about the referendum. Wow. Because, I mean, usually, not all the time, but usually they inherit the opinion that they hear at home. Think you're a paedophile? There <laughs> 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 comes that paedophile again <laughs> with his iron brew. <laughs> Probably best not to be handing out soft drinks if you don't want to be seen as a pain of <laughs> I'm just going to keep going through this podcast. <laughs> uh, but, what, but, what, 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 what were we talking about sorry, before nine, we talked about your yeah. kind of unhealthy obsession? <laughs> but nine-year-olds. So what? What level are they? What, oh yeah. But what, um, <laughs> what level are they? Do they? Yeah, I take my boy to the football training, and in the short John at the football training, they're kind of arguing about the referendum and all sorts of things and they fall, they're, fall, they're falling out about it I say like kids just shut up <laughs> just shut up turn the radio on listen to Radio 1 or any old nonsense rather than kind of arguing about this because you don't want kind of kids falling out I, I'm, in, I'm in the pub and folk come up and they argue all the time kind of you're that guy you believe that how can you believe that you don't believe in Scotland <laughs> all that sort of stuff and I've done some of these street meetings that have got pretty rowdy today in, Ed, today in Edinburgh as you would expect Pretty genteel, as Edinburgh. Although I did one in Leith a couple of weeks ago and someone threw a bottle at me. He shouted, and again, it's podcasts, I've got to be careful, I can't say verbatim what the guy said. Um, but he, kind of, he threw a bottle and shouted, freedom, you yeah, <laughs> something. Um, as if it's some sort of, kind of rerun of a Mel Gibson movie that somehow, tra somehow trapped in. And then kind of folk crime in the crates, folk calling you also. But that's fine. But I just, I hope by the end of this, We've all got to come together and make the best of the decision that our fellow, yeah. our fellow kind of citizens have come to. So, the more people that vote, the better. Um, and I'm sure we can make whatever decision we come to work. We're going to have to. It's just fascinating, isn't it? I, and it, a lot of us went through it with Iraq because I, I supported the Iraq war, and it, it was very difficult for me amongst my friendship group to, to sort of hold to that. And it would lead to a lot of very heated arguments. I'd say, you know, it's not that some sort of bloodthirsty mm. warlord. I just think that it's the right decision. And I, I just wonder if the referendum has, has had similar splits where people said, Jim, I can't talk to you anymore. If you mm. think that Scotland can't run its own affairs, then, you know, yeah, I'll leave well, you to your well, sans air. It, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a weekend without that debate. 
I'm with friends. So I'm a season ticket holder at Celtic. I'm talking to my pals, going to the football at half time at the football. I mean, you have to talk about something other than the football because. Mm-hmm. I mean, also I'm in Edinburgh. You can't talk about football, can we? <laughs> you know, Hearts and Hibs both been relegated. Mm-hmm. Kind of, that went well. Um, but yeah, the kind of, the, you wouldn't. It wouldn't be a night out on a Friday or a Saturday without someone falling out with you <laughs> on, on the referendum. But you know what? People are passionate. As long as it stays peef, peaceful, as I'm sure it will, that's absolutely fine by me. Have you had much in, politi- in politics? You don't have many friends to lose anyway. Right, that's the truth. Oh. It's not like oh. comedy. <laughs> we all we all love one, you all love one another, <laughs> and you all laugh out of each other's jokes out of absolute, absolute sincerity. Well, maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> have you had much online abuse? Yeah, loads. Because it's been a thing, hasn't it, about cybernats and people loads. being particularly. Well, I, mean, I, 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 I stopped following. I mean, a lot of some people I know, some friends, and including one politician, has just stopped all the kind of Twitter and social media stuff. And I guarantee, you if I tweet, I've enjoyed being here this evening. Um, there'll be, I don't know how many folk are here, a hundred. There'll be more than a hundred people say, ah, you're a prick. I <laughs> know, <laughs> uh, only you know that. <laughs> right, because you were here. <laughs> but loads of people who weren't here will say, I was rubbed, whatever. It just, Did it I, get to you? No. Because I think at day one it did. I mean, day one you think, you wouldn't say that, eh? you wouldn't say that to someone if you're standing next to them, if you were standing in a pub, if you were walking down the street or whatever. Um, but folk just think, um, folk just think you can say absolutely anything on social media. I was watching, I was watching, I know it's not a kind of great kind of cultural kind of reference, but I was up late in the other night trying to do my emails and I was watching the American baseball, it was kind of was an advert and what was it, BT Sport or whatever, and I turned over and there was cage fighting. Yeah. And I thought, oh. <laughs> so again, I just did a tweet about, I'm not squeamish, but cage fighting just looks like legalised barefoot brawling. And then I get these folks and I'd love to rob you. One guy said, I'd love to cage fight with you. Oh, I've got it here, yeah. Uh, oh, you um, saw that, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> this isn't rehearsed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I, 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 well, I searched for it, because I've heard a lot about online abuse. Oh, there's loads of it, honestly, loads of it. Um, so I've got a couple here. Uh, Ross Doherty. Uh, oh, no, here's my favourite one. Celtic Fanzone said uh, that you make Steptoe look like George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> Ross Doherty simply said, at Jim Murphy MP, you're a fucking wank. <laughs> <laughs> And this one says, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind getting into a cage fight with you. I'd rip your head clean off your shoulders, you dirty hun fuck. Uh, that was from Nicholas Sturgeon. <laughs> <laughs> but none of that, you never get sort of offended by it. You're absolutely nah, cool. I think there's a, a rule in my game, don't tweet when you're drunk. Right? <laughs> I mean, kind of, I think that realise trouble, but, oh, you know... Uh, sometimes I retweet the, uh, sometimes I retweet um, the kind of greatest abuse just to kind of show up some of the folk um, but uh, it's, I guess it shows it says more about them than it does me and I'm kind of keen, keen never to kind of sound like a victim I mean they're arseholes and these people are basically arseholes just, not, and they spend too much time locked away in their bedroom um, kind of thinking of up insults to type to punch into a computer at two o'clock in the morning I'm not that worried about them Although a lot of them have come to my meetings. <laughs> well, let's find out if there's any here. Let's open up the floor uh, to, the, uh, to the audience. I'm keen to take as many questions. If I can ask uh, audience members, um, I'll just let us know where you're from and what your name is. I'll have to repeat your question for the podcast so that we can hear it. Um, and if we could have succinct questions, and please, succinct answers as well, and we'll get around wow. as many as Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Possible. Uh, yes, the gentleman uh, with the slightly oasis haircut. What's your name? Uh, Nick Emerson uh, from Edinburgh. Nick from Edinburgh? Um, So uh, Labour politicians in Scotland are more likely to go to Westminster. Uh, they seem to get the better quality uh, Scottish candidates. Do you think high quality Scottish Labour representatives would come to the Scottish Parliament? I think that we have got some real talent in the Scottish Parliament, particularly young women, um, Jenny Mara, Kez Dugdale and many others. A lot of our good candidates lost at the last Scottish election. They just got um, wiped away um, as part of the national swing. But we have got some um, great candidates uh, and there's some good folk in London as well. I, don't, I genuinely don't buy into this kind of media confection, um, although it's tempting and flattering, which is that the, the best Labour people go to London and, and the others go to Edinburgh. It just, I mean, it's a media confection fuelled by the SNP who want that to be peddled as a truth. It's not the case. But would you, in an independent Scotland, stand for the Scottish Parliament? Well, I'd be looking for a job, so I'd have to do that. <laughs> And I'm, and, I'm too, and I'm too old to be a footballer, which was my ambition. I mean, I'm still the captain of the House of Commons football team. Um, well, I, I think I am. Um, well, I don't know if we become independent. I don't do that either. But um, we get all sorts of celebrity managers. And my time as captain, um, we have been an astonishingly um, consistent team. Um, 16, 16 games. Um, we have managed to um, draw none. Um, <laughs> win none <laughs> and lose the rest of them and when you think one of the games was against the House of Lords <laughs> who really did you play? oh well we play anyone we play I remember playing um, and this is an aside but I remember we, we were told you talked about the Iraq war earlier I remember being told soon after the Iraq war God I Luke, was worried then I think you said we played Saddam's All Star 11 it was uh, not what started the whole thing <laughs> But we turned up and we, we, we said, look, we want you to play a charity game against this group of Iraqis. And we thought, OK, well, OK. Um, so we turned up at a rain-sodden pitch in South London, a kind of grass, muddy field in South London. I think it was a Chelsea Pensioners Hospital or somewhere. And we turned up, and I thought it was kind of a group of middle-aged, overweight kind of Iraqi diplomats. And it turned out it was the Iraqi national team. <laughs> <laughs> right? And these, this was a team that Saddam's son used to beat the, the souls of if they lost. Their feet were safe. I mean, <laughs> it was sixteen nil at half time, <laughs> and and then the next time I saw them, they were playing in Portugal at the European Championships. I, that's, I mean, that's I the problem with uh, with Iraq. They can do a lot of damage in forty five minutes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't grow into that. Entirely, that was on the entirely spot. unrehearsed. <laughs> that's why you're a comedian. <laughs> okay, any more questions in the audience, please? Yes, the gentleman at the front, what's yeah, your name? My name's Rudd, I'm from York. I lived in Africa in the 70s, and the newly independent government soon realised that they'd got political power, but they hadn't got economic power. So they promptly nationalised all the industries, and all the industries went down the tube. It seems to me that, given the way globalisation is going in the world, that Scotland could go the same way, that they'll get, eco- they'll get political power but they won't have any economic power. So, uh, will Scotland with political but not economic power is the question, will they start nationalising industries? No. Okay. Can they survive? survive? I think we can. Um, But the issue is, back to this point about, is it a better version of a future to stay in the UK or is it better to try and break away? I mean, I don't don't share uh, your pessimism, sir. Even though if you you have a vote, I suspect you'll be voting the same, you would vote the same way as myself. Um, I get asked all the time when I go around about is it, look, the Commonwealth Games, games, great success, look at all those newly independent or recently independent countries, why can't Scotland just be like them? Well, first of all, Commonwealth Games were a great success. I mean, Glasgow, one of the most gallous cities in the world, kind of had a real sense of confidence coming out the back of it, and where the Scotland team and their kind of peculiar blue outfits getting cheered, at, getting cheered at Celtic Park. I mean, a team in blue getting cheered at Celtic Park, <laughs> and then the English getting cheered at Hamden. 
I mean, a double, a, a real double achievement. But our histories are different from all of those countries of the Commonwealth and former colon, former parts of the empire. And um, they just are. They're different economics, different relationships. And all, Scotland isn't part of that kind of empire relationship. If anything, Scotland and England together built the empire, and occasionally oppressed the empire. So our relationship between Scotland and the rest of the UK is as different from all of those former colonies um, of the empire. And I just, I've got a, a greater sense of optimism. I don't think it would be without enormous difficulties. And back to this point, the central one being if you can't name the currency. But that's an ongoing debate, of course. OK, any more questions, please? Yes, what's your name, sir? OK, my name is uh, Alan. I'm uh, from Aberdeen, but, Irish, but uh, I, uh, I live in London now. But uh, I'd just like to say, if you weren't in favour of independence, would you be in favour of the other option they're putting about, Devo Max? So if you're not in favour of independence, are you in favour of Devo Max? I've no idea what it is. And no one has. <laughs> um, it's a kind of mixture between a political slogan and a soft drink advert. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, no one knows what it is. Um, so I am in favour of more powers to the Scottish Parliament, but I'm not in favour of something that no one can ever explain what it is. It sounds like knocking at the door of independence, or it sounds like a slightly more powers, depending on your perspective. But whoever wins the next UK election, there's going to be more powers. Labour, Tory and Lib Dems have all said there'll be more powers to the Scottish Parliament. Um, one of the things that the SNP has said, that actually Devo Max could have been on the ballot paper, but Westminster or the no side prevented it from being on there. Is that because they couldn't define it, or is that because you wanted to just have a straight yes-no? You know, it hurts me to say this, but the, the only major political party that wasn't involved in the discussions was Labour. Because <laughs> you had the SNP as the Scottish Government and the Tories and Liberals as the UK Government, and kind of we watched as bystanders, which is a byproduct of us having been so spectacularly good at losing two elections. Um, so I think they came to an, an OK arrangement, and I, can, uh, I think they came to a, quite a mature arrangement. The Scottish Government wanted 16- and 17-year-olds to vote as part of their red line. The UK Government wanted it to be a straight choice, yes or no, and I think, I think the UK Government got the better end of the deal in hindsight, because Salmond wanted 16- and 17-year-olds to vote on the basis that he thought they would all kind of give mm. it the freedom thing. Um, and when you look at it, who are the two groups of people... Um, that the Yes campaign are most behind amongst. It's the 16 and 17-year-olds, one group, um, who just don't see the world in that sense of nationality and borders. And then women. Um, mile, no campaign's miles ahead amongst women. Why do you think that is? They can see through a chance. I tell you what, it's because you're a dreamboat. So <laughs> it is. That's what who, it is. who tweeted that? Is that you? <laughs> I'm going to look at your Twitter yeah. feed later. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag Jim Murphy's dreamboat. Can, and the problem is, long... <laughs> the Please problem is it. long ago long ago before I was involved in politics we mistakenly gave the vote to men <laughs> and if only women had the vote and only women would be absolutely fine we wouldn't even be having this conversation you're so women. smooth <laughs> so smooth you mean slippery you've almost got me man and I'm a bloke <laughs> I don't want you <laughs> oh. uh, any more questions <laughs> yes the person there So will the, will the energisation of the people who voted yes in the event of a no vote change the way that Labour campaigns in Scotland from I think I think the referendum's going to change our politics. Um, it's going to change the constitution, whether it's yes or no. Yes will lead to the kind of things that you all know about, or we think we know about, and no will lead to more powers regardless who wins the election. But in a cultural sense, I think it will change our politics, mostly for the better. I think some of the negative stuff about the kind of only the Yes campaign believe that they... Only some people in the Yes campaign believe that they are the real, are proper patriots and only they believe in Scotland. I think that's pretty unhealthy, but that's a minority. But I think it will change our political culture in that people will probably be more open talking about politics in future because it's a kind of great kind of national exercise about us collectively making our mind up. And I think it would be weird to go from a kind of conversation that nine-year-olds will have in the way to football and that drunks will have in the pub. Actually, I was out for a... a my brother was over visiting from America and uh, we were out for a dinner in a, um, one of the, a, pizza, a pizza place in Glasgow. There was about 20 of us. And uh, the next table was a hen night. And I'm not... And listen, again, too many strange things have happened in this referendum campaign to be made up, right? Uh, honestly. Uh, the, the hen night was sitting at the table next to us 
And there was the, the, the bride-to-be with all of her pals pissed, I mean, pissed out of their head, right? <laughs> and the bride had a necklace made of condoms, right? And they were debating the merits of a currency union. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, if a political exercise is going to get a hen night with condom necklaces to discuss a currency union, there's no going back. Our politics has changed, and that's a good thing. And what did they decide? We're all fucked. <laughs> 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 Any more? Yes, Willie. What's the question, mate? Hi, Willie. I'm good, I think. I was until your question, Willie. Given that you've consistently been on losing sides when you're the captain, do you think. Given that you were on losing sides when you're the What football team do you support, Willie? All right, well, we're both on a winning side. <laughs> but it's I a... nothing about Wait a minute, you just said Celtic. <laughs> I think, Willie, despite you doing this a couple of days ago, I shouldn't give up hoping you changing your mind. <laughs> do you support Hearts or do you support Celtic? <laughs> it's not the hardest question. <laughs> All right, okay. That was it 1980. Was it 86? When Albert Kidd scored those two goals and for Dundee and took the league off, he was at 86. I can't remember. That was a happy day. Yeah, that's worked, that's worked out well for you. <laughs> Although you did beat Hibs the other day. I'm, me on losing side, I, mean, I joke about the football thing. In a, in a one-team league, it's not hard to come first. I will see what happens. I mean, this is, I mean, how obsessive have I become about the referendum? Celtic are playing in the Champions League tonight. I mean, see if this was in Glasgow. There wouldn't be a hundred people listening. <laughs> uh, I remember... Oh no, I won't, I won't go into that. I won't go into that. Um, well, we'll see what happens, mate. Um, at the end of it, um, I'll happily buy you an iron brew. Win, lose, or draw, I'll buy you an iron brew, mate, OK? <laughs> it's, more than, it's more than just my crates are empty, really. <laughs> OK, any more questions for the audience, please? Yes, the lady at the back. Yep. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Is it easier to be against Trident if you're not in the cabinet or the shadow cabinet? Do you know, I think this issue of a nuclear deterrent um, has different views on all the political parties. Um, there's a strong strain of multilateralism or unilateralism in probably all the parties, even in the Conservative Party, probably more in one way than the other in the Conservative Party, but nevertheless um, there's a kind of an entirely honourable tradition in both um, in all the parties um, and my, 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 my kind of argument about this is that we can't uninvent the technology even if we wanted to, we can't uninvent the technology, and it's a question... And it's a question about how you get rid of the nuclear weapons across the world. And my sense is that even though the Labour government, the last Labour government, cut the number of warheads by more than any other country in the world at the time, and we decided not to go to zero in the world. And that, this is one of those issues. See, on the independence thing, and even in football, and Willie and I kind of swap sides and the kind of independence thing, people might change their mind. There are very few people in this that change their mind, and I don't, that's, that's not a bad thing. But in a sense of... We took a decision not to go to zero because in a world where China, Russia, America are renewing their arsenal, when Pakistan and India are now facing off against one another across a nuclear divide, where North Korea and Iran are trying to get a nuclear bomb, um, and if Iran gets it, Turkey would get it, and all sorts of other things that would go on. We just, we, I just have the view that if I want a world free, free of nuclear weapons, which I do, I would rather do that as part of a negotiation where we all put these things out of use and try and abolish our capability to destroy each other. And I just, I, I don't, I think it's seductive, but I don't think it's convincing um, to say that I would take a decision to have no deterrent when North Korea and Iran are about to try and get it. I think and fast forward a few years, and if they were to get it, heaven forbid, then I don't want to be involved in a work of kind of global politics or foreign policy where Iran says we have a nuclear bomb or North Korea says we have a nuclear bomb and we say we only have conventional forces. It's a deterrent. It's designed to prevent nuclear states like that 
um, having a whip hand over us while we try and negotiate it away. But there's honourable traditions on both sides. But I've never met anyone who wants nuclear weapons. It's about how you get rid of them. And it's a judgement call, isn't it? And whether the best way to do it is do that by ourselves or do it in a negotiation with others. Any more questions from the audience, please? Uh, yes, the chap at the back. You obviously, so you obviously don't want us to win. Who do you want to win, sorry, incidentally, Michael? I'm English. Oh, but you're entitled to have you. Uh, you're, you're in Scotland. I have an English father and a Scottish mother. Well, you're entitled to a half of you then. <laughs> Just for the benefit of the podcast, Michael is giving us his life story. Uh, had a tough childhood. Uh, Dad wasn't around much. Uh, <laughs> what, what happened? Um, if, 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 Why are you laughing? That, that man has just that man has just kind of told his life story, and you laughed. Oh, my! My parents are divorced. It's fine. Some of my best parents are divorced. Some of my best friends are divorced. See, you, mate. He's had enough. There go your folks, mate. They're off again. Jesus. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but joking aside, the question was about this, this should be a Tory battle. Shouldn't it be David Cameron and George Osborne up here instead of Jim Murphy and Alistair Darling? If you condemn us, um, not you, you condemn us to a Tory party for the rest of time, then you are fighting technically a Tory battle. Are you fighting technically a Tory battle? Okay. No, but I hear, that, I hear a, a version of that sentiment in different places I go um, in that. But David Cameron, the way I look at it is David Cameron um, is entitled to an opinion, he's entitled to, uh, he has a voice but not a vote. And these debates should be amongst people who have got a vote, um, who live here, whether you are Scottish or whether you've come to make Scotland your home, no matter where in the world you've come from, you've got a stake in this country and you should have a vote. And that's why it's a debate between two leading politicians, both of whom who have a vote and both of whom who live here. Um, And I think in terms of the Tory thing, look, I'm making, we're making an, I'm making a Labour argument for part of the United Kingdom. I'm not a traditional unionist. I don't come from that tradition. My kind of politics have never been about that sort of thing. Um, kind of, we're trying to make a kind of socialist, egalitarian, kind of left to centre case for a union. And just finish with, I mean, there's different forms of union and unionism. The Conservative and Unionist Party come from that old style of unionism. The Labour Party come from that old kind of style of unions. And two different types of unions or unionism has come together because on this one thing we agree. I mean, uh, it'd be easier to pretend we disagreed. Right? But three parties, I mean, the Lib Dems are still a party, aren't they? They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not a subset of something else. But, um, but Labour, Tory and Lib Dems have come together. Three parties that not the living daylight out of each other normally have come together because on this one thing we just agree. And rather than pretending to the public and kidding the public on that we don't, we just thought, let's do it together. Was there not a political calculation, though, that actually, you know, two posh English blokes coming up here, flying the flag, would actually be detrimental? God, you've, you've got your finger on the political pulse, haven't you? <laughs> oh, come on now. But, but that's the way that it's perceived, isn't it? That they've deliberately kept... I mean, what are you saying? We've got no posh people in Scotland. No, but, 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 but you know, the, Tories, the Tory brand is not strong Yeah, here. it's kind of toxic. I mean, I remember... No, I won't go into that. Um, that would get me in bother. Uh, um, oh, go on, just a little bit. Well, I think, I mean, here's, an, here's a wee insight, right? I was campaigning outside the Tesco's at the last general election in my constituency, and there was a guy there who said, um, and he's really angry, and he said, my, my life's not, things aren't going to my plan, or whatever. He said, I'm going to vote BNP, right? And I said, okay, well, don't do that. Vote for anybody else. Please don't vote BNP. And I said, anything I can do to change your mind? And he said, the only reason I wouldn't vote BMP is if I thought it would let the Tories in. Now, that's how toxic for that man the Tory brand was. He would rather vote for a fascist. Now, I mean, that's an uncomfortable anecdote Mm. that shows how culturally, um, for some, the Tory party has become kind of toxic. I don't like the politics of kind of cultural conceit or cultural identity in that sense. I don't like the fact that it's kind of 
and you kind of instinctively because of your national identity or place of birth, you, a politics is described or perceived to be alien. Or I'd rather have kind of the kind of great philosophical and ideological debates left and right mm. about economics and politics rather than the kind of politics of identity and who's more Scottish and whether you're a patriot or you're a nationalist and whose flag it is and who was on whose side in a battle in 1314. Just really, my family came to this country what six six and a half centuries after that. I had no side in that battle in 1314. My family. If they had, they'd have probably lost. Yeah, oh, Willie was my <laughs> uh, Willie would have won. <laughs> I mean, my family were in Ireland kicking the hell out of each other there six and a half centuries before. Right, one last question, the gentleman over there. Uh, so Scotland always overwhelmingly votes Labour, doesn't get a Labour government in Westminster. If you really want social change, wouldn't independence be the best way to get it? But uh, that's why when I said earlier, I don't understand the alternative argument. I, I genuinely try to understand other people's point of view. I, I mean, because it's the best way of... If you understand someone's point of view, you can at least argue with it. But to kind of genuinely just dismiss someone's view is kind of, first of all, judgmental and ignorant, but also doesn't help you in a conversation. But on this, this argument, and I don't in any way kind of deny you kind of sincerity in which you make the argument, I find it difficult to fathom because the version of independence we've been offered um, and the gentleman that Michael at the back said, you're going to condemn us to years of Tory government if Scotland becomes independent. If that's what you believe would happen in independent England and Wales, of course Northern Ireland doesn't have a vote in that in terms of because they're different politics, but what good would it be in an independent Scotland to be tied to what you believe would be more likely to be a Tory government at Westminster? We'd be tied to that currency, is what we're being proposed, and tied to that central bank. I mean, you don't have space for radical economics if you're tied to a Tory government in a foreign country. Sorry? No. So on interest rates, money supply, all these big issues aren't trivia. If you haven't got, you haven't got the money and you haven't can control it, one level it doesn't matter what your income tax rate is. You don't know what the currency is going to be and you've got no control over interest rates. But, I mean, you and I suspect aren't going to convince one another we're going to vote different ways. But for those who folk who are undecided, and where is the logic in saying I want a kind, of, a kind of radical version of socialism, but I'm going to tie myself to a Tory Bank of England if there's a foreign Bank of England run by the, kind of influenced by the Tory party, if that's what you believe would happen in an independent England and Wales away from Scotland? There's no logic. And in the white paper, I'll finish with, in the white paper... The old, the, and incidentally, that's what we're voting on. Of course, we're going to vote on a bit of paper, on the ballot paper, but the proposal we're having is to vote on the white paper, 800 pages of a white paper. I joked in the wireless a couple of weeks ago, um, it might not pass your threshold, but I joked, joked in the wireless a couple of weeks ago that it's, a, it's as thick as an Argos catalogue, right, with two big differences. You look at an Argos catalogue, you know how much everything costs. Mm-hmm. We don't know how much it costs to set up a separate state. And you know what currency you're using when you shop in Argos. We've got absolutely no idea what currency we're going to be using. And so, but the one thing in the white paper, the only piece of redistribution in the white paper is a massive cut for the biggest companies in their tax who are cutting corporation tax. A deeper cut in corporation tax than George Osborne would ever dare. So you cannot have a kind of socialist nirvana and tax levels lower than George Osborne would ever dare promise. So folks, don't kind of fall for the seductive argument that if only we were independent, we would have no poverty, we'd have no disadvantage, we would have no food banks, we'd have no sense of kind of disadvantage or, or, or kind of that degree of grinding poverty that too many families that I grew up with still experience. That's about politics. It's not, a, it's not about passports. It's politics and economics, not passports and national identity. A passport has never put a penny in the pocket or the purse of a poor person anywhere in the world. So let's be fiercely patriotic, patriotically Scottish. Let's also be comfortable in our Britishness. And if you want change, change our bloody government, not our passports. Thanks. Wow. Amazing. What a way to end. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming. Uh, it's been a, it, was a, it was great. All the questions from the audience were fantastic. Thank you for making it such a pleasant and uh, yeah, a harmonious experience. Uh, thanks to everyone at the Pleasance and Avalon for helping make it happen. I've been Matt Ford, but please, a massive thank you to Mr Jim Murphy. There you go, Jim Murphy, uh, Shadow Secretary of State for International Development, leading light of the No campaign, and who knows, future Labour leader. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It's fascinating when you have an opinion. I've always been a big fan of Jim Murphy uh, and always uh, been very close to his view of politics. But he was absolutely brilliant. I've been thinking about him <laughs> quite a lot since. So good uh, and so funny and really convincing. And it was interesting talking to people afterwards. No matter what side people were on, they were very, very taken with him. And if there were a few more politicians like that around, um, and there are, to be fair... Um, but if there were a few more like that that were more visible, I think politics would be in a, a, a very much a better state. And I, I really hope that Jim Murphy uses this platform that the referendum has given him to, to further his career and future. Absolutely brilliant and just so funny. Uh, top bloke. Um, we'll be back at the St James's Theatre in just a few weeks. The tickets are available on the website, stjamestheatre.co.uk. Um, we're just about to confirm the guest for September. It's Michael Portillo in October. We'll be doing a special from the Labour Party conference at the Comedy Store in Manchester with John Prescott. And, of course, I've got a new show, The Sports Party, starting in September as well with guests for that. Some big sporting names about to be announced. Um, it was a real pleasure to be able to do these shows at the heart of the Edinburgh Festival and be part of this huge debate. So thanks to everyone who came along. Thanks to you for downloading it. ta When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.